Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. Do you want to dive deeper into this story? Do you want to get episodes early and listen without ads? Well, you get all of that and more for as little as $5 a month. Go to dakotaspotlight.com and check out Spotlight Plus. And then word came out that uh, Bill was uh, killed and uh, they had found him in a pair of uh, plastic bags in the river. And the family family has suffered, his friends have suffered. He got mixed up with the wrong people and it turned on him. Somebody needs to pay for that. Nobody deserves to have that done to them. And he said, I, I said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Trying to figure out who was on the loose here and who was next. And all the clues are getting colder and colder and colder. For me, it was very frightening. I just want everyone to tell their truth and then hopefully get to the real truth. The wind look in my direction. I caught it in my hands today. You're listening to Season 4 of Dakota Spotlight Podcast. My name is James Wolner. This is Episode 3 of Chasing Billy, an ongoing investigation into the 1978 homicide of William Wolfe. Jr. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. Permission to use the song Moonlight Feels Right, provided by Bruce Blackman at bruceblackman.com. In this episode, we're going to meet Bud Warren. Bud went to West Fargo High School in the mid-70s, and so he knew Billy Wolf. But Bud not only knew Billy, he also worked in law enforcement for many years. In fact, he investigated Billy's murder. And if you've not listened to episodes one and two of Chasing Billy, I recommend that you go back and do that to get some of the backstory. As we already mentioned in earlier episodes... Coinciding with this podcast, Billy's cold case has recently been reopened by law enforcement. In Clay County, Minnesota, Sheriff Mark Empting recently hired a man named Dan Bauman to take a fresh look at Billy's case. Bauman is a former agent at the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, and he has more than 30 years of law enforcement experience. Before we meet Bud Warren, I want to tell you a little bit about something I mentioned in previous episodes, namely the brief arrest that was made in this case back in 1978. Billy's body was found in the Red River in August of 1978. The body was severed in two and had been placed in two garbage bags. Several agencies from both states, North Dakota and Minnesota, worked on the case. They asked the public for help, they followed leads, and a full month after Billy's body had been found, law enforcement seemed to have very little to go on. But then, in late November, something happened. Clay County, Minnesota brought charges for the murder against Billy's own father, William Wolfe Sr., And, as if they couldn't quite make up their mind, the indictments were returned for first-degree murder, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter 
a full spectrum of possible scenarios. So Billy's father got a lawyer, pleaded innocent, and then awaited a pre-trial hearing, which finally took place three months later, near the end of February of 1979. At that hearing, the prosecutor, an assistant county attorney named Edward Klinger, made a surprise motion. He made a motion to dismiss Billy Wolf's father from all charges. Klinger stated that they didn't have enough evidence for a conviction. But that's not all. He didn't seem to be stating that they had their man, but they couldn't prove it. He seemed to indicate that they were no longer confident that Billy's father was their man. An article published on February 29, 1979, by the Forum of Fargo-Moorhead, stated the following. While evidence existing at the time of the grand jury in November seemed to indicate that there was probable cause for the indictments, Klinger said that the evidence, combined with further information developed from the investigation, would not support a conviction. Klinger would not elaborate on new evidence developed by the investigation of the murder, but said some new evidence contradicts the findings of the grand jury. And apparently the prosecutor also stated that Billy Wolf's case no longer had any specific suspect. Assuming then, as we should assume, I guess, that Billy's father had nothing to do with the murder. You might imagine the type of torment Billy's family went through. Not only did they lose Billy, but then they had to endure William Wolfe Sr. becoming a suspect himself. In fact, I've been told that the family had to move away from the area after all this happened. And this might help explain why, in case you're wondering, why we have not heard from Billy's family yet in this podcast. I can tell you that I have spoken with one member of Billy's family, and at this point, he or she is observing all of this from afar, the podcast, the renewed interest in the case. I am hoping that we may get access to an interview moving forward, but I also understand that Billy's murder has caused this family so much grief. Hi again, it's me, James. I just want to tell you about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to the Dakota Spotlight podcast that allows you to listen to these same episodes without ads, and you get access to them before anyone else. Your subscription will also unlock access to exclusive episodes, the Spotlight Plus newsletter, videos, pictures, documents, and more. All at the same time, you will be supporting me and Dakota Spotlight. Please check out Spotlight Plus by going to dakotaspotlight.com. Thank you for your support. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story. Conning the con. 
I'm Bud Warren. From uh, grew up in West Fargo, North Dakota. Graduated from uh, high school there in 1974. Home of the Packers. I uh, worked some construction jobs around the area, and eventually landed uh, in a career path at the Cass County Sheriff's Office. I started there uh, in 1978, uh, and started in the jailhouse there, and became a jailer, and uh, worked my way up through the department. Worked out uh, on the patrol and ended up working eventually into investigations. I asked Bud Warren about Billy Wolf, high school, and life in West Fargo growing up. I, I wasn't close enough to Billy to know what his uh, outside activities involved or what he was interested in or what he, if he drank beer or liked to smoke, uh, smoke marijuana. My memory of him is he was not somebody that caused a lot of problems. He, he didn't get in a lot of people's way. He didn't try to intimidate people. Um, as I remember, he worked, uh, he was uh, on the wrestling team for, for a time. He worked, he was in drama class, uh, for a while and active in, uh, some of those, uh, extracurricular activities. I grew up, you know, knew his, his sisters, uh, they were lived over there in Brookwood trailer court and, uh, got along with them fine. But, uh, yeah, I got to know them a little bit and seen them around and every, you know, everybody you'd see people at parties and. Uh, everybody was actually a pretty friendly environment to be in. And you were from West Fargo, and there was another West Fargo person there. Uh, usually you, you helped each other out. I asked Bud Warren if he remembered when he first heard about Billy's murder. I don't remember the, exactly what day it was or anything like that, but it was as startling a memory from that time period of uh, my life um, when, when we found out that happened and it was in a around the same time where we had had a couple of other real serious um, homicides in West Fargo and we just didn't have things like that happen. And, and we had three of those situations happen in happening in around the same time. And it was um, very, for me, it was very frightening trying to figure out because nobody had been apprehended and I was trying to, as a kid, trying to figure out, young kid anyway, trying to figure out who was on the loose here and who was next. And uh, there was a lot of concern with the crowd that I ran with and the people I knew outside of that crowd of, of uh, what was going on and what was what, who was next and things like that. I asked Bud if he ever considered Billy's father to be a strong suspect. Again, Billy's father was charged briefly in late 1978, and all charges were dropped in February of 1979. No, I, I never did. I, I, just, I just never thought his, his father was uh, a very good suspect. I just didn't think it, it made any sense. There were also some rumors going around about what had happened to Billy. There were some rumors about some big time guys from Chicago coming to West Fargo and killing them and cutting in half. <laughs> I knew lots of characters that did lots of things those in those days. And there, there weren't, there, there wasn't a lot of violence associated with the people that I knew that did a lot of drugs. There just, I mean, there just wasn't. And so it didn't, for me, it didn't fit. In fact, some of these rumors, if they were just rumors, seem to have come from Billy's father. My recollection is that 
Mr. Wolf thought that it might've been some big time people from Chicago that came to town or something like that. And, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that just never made any sense, but you know, I didn't know exactly everything that Billy had been doing for a few years there either. So, you know, after being involved in lots of narcotic cases and, uh, doing lots of, um, working on task forces and things like that nowadays, it's, not unheard of at all to have somebody from an outside area come to town as an enforcer or something like that. I want to stop just for a second and talk about Billy's father again. If you're wondering, as I have been, why he was considered a suspect in the first place, I can't tell you everything because I don't know. I don't have access to police records for this open case. But I have learned some smaller things here and there. My interpretation is that Billy's father might have gotten in his own way at times. More than one person has told me that Mr. Wolf lied a lot, like all the time. If detectives were looking at Mr. Wolf as a potential suspect, and then they caught him in lies, well, that's going to look very suspicious. And then, of course, when Billy's father shares his theories with police that someone from the mafia came from out of state to kill Billy, well, I can almost see the detectives shaking their heads. This guy's trying to throw us off his tracks. This is suspicious. I've also read that Billy and his father had a big argument shortly before his disappearance. Of course, none of this would add up to probable cause. There's likely more behind it all. Perhaps you remember Bob Wensloff from Episode 1, Billy's classmate. Bob Wensloff worked with Billy's father quite a bit. He remembers Billy's father as a cranky, grouchy kind of guy. Yeah, more or less a lot of grumpy. He was a tough guy. He was not a very big guy, just a tough, uh, crabby, always kind of, always cranky, uh, like he never got enough coffee in the morning. And uh, he was just, he was just a all around, uh, mad at the world kind of guy all the time. If he smiled, it was, his face would have cracked. Which doesn't make you a murderer, of course. In fact, Bud Warren didn't share the same view on Bill Wolf Sr. Bud had the opportunity to meet them both as he worked on Billy's case. My my time that I spent talking to Mr. Wolf was and Mrs. Wolf were good conversations and they were fine folks. The community was traumatized over not just this one this homicide, but the other two that happened, but this has been a topic of conversation forever uh, since it happened. And speaking about investigating Billy's case, Bud Warren has definitely not given up. You know, I might, I might not have been best friends with Billy. I knew his sisters. He wasn't a bad guy. Um, he wasn't a mean guy. He didn't cause people, he didn't go looking for trouble. Um, Billy was, like I said before, a little bit of a loner under the radar a little bit. And um, for Billy have happened to him uh, what happened and for him to be killed in the manner that he did and the people that did that to him, um, cut him in half and put him in bags and throw him into the river is um, somebody needs to pay for that. Nobody deserves to have that done to them. And the family family has suffered, his friends have suffered, 
Um, now it's uh, being investigated again by on a cold case situation, and there's a podcast taking place. They're still interested in this, and uh, we still want to find, and it's important to find the people that are responsible for this. Our interview with Bud Warren will continue in just a moment. Right now, though, I want to share with you the words of Billy's mother, Betty Wolf. She was interviewed just one month after the murder by the Forum of Fargo-Moorhead, and the reporter wrapped up the article with the following quote, read this time by a voice actor. The thing is, you wonder when it takes so long and, and all the clues are getting colder and colder and colder, and how are, how are people going to remember the longer it takes to find somebody who is going to talk? How are they going to remember details of something that happened one month or two months ago or a year ago? Bud Warren and I spoke a bit about how important it is for people to come forward with information, regardless of how they do it or how much information they believe they have. Unfortunately, it's often the case that people have a tidbit of information, a piece of a bigger puzzle, and they don't come forward because they just can't believe that their little piece of the puzzle could possibly be exactly what law enforcement need to solve a case. Because they don't know what the cops have, and, and, and the cops can't reveal all that because it's sensitive information and it might compromise the case. But that little piece of information might lead to another little piece of information as well and solves the whole thing. And that's why I sometimes tell people, man, you just need to call. You really do. One thing I think is really awesome about the situation right now is that we have a one particular detective focusing only on this and one other case. So he will not be uh, distracted with anything else, right? That's right. Um, Sheriff Empty and Clay County Sheriff's Office made a, a fabulous decision um, in hiring a recently retired BCA agent with a, a world of experience uh, with serious crimes. And he's going to be able to dedicate that person to a couple cold cases. And this is one of them. So like you said, this person is not going to be distracted from uh, the, the basic battery theft and homicide cases that come across the desk. I've heard in the past that in certain situations, people have tried, maybe not this case, but in other cases, that people have had information that could have basically solved a crime have either tried to come forward and were not heard correctly, or I've also heard that sometimes people have just been a little bit too afraid to come forward. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Do you have any experience with that kind of stuff? I sure do. It's happened many times in, in my experience, whether somebody called a tip line and nobody answered the phone so they didn't dare leave a message or they walked into an office and the particular person they wanted to talk to just wasn't there that day and uh, never worked up the gumption to come back in a second time or make that call a second time. That must just be heartbreaking when someone was close to getting you the information you needed and it just didn't happen. It is, um, but it's understandable. Um, we're all people, obviously, and we all have situations where you're comfortable providing information to one person, maybe not to another, and has to be in the right environment or the right time. 
Well, that's a great thought, and we just need that right person to come forward. There are people out there who have the information you need. What should those people be concerned about? I mean, I imagine it's a pretty scary thing to do, and that's why they're not coming forward. You know, there is a, a phone number for the Clay County Sheriff's Office that they can call if they're not comfortable calling that number. Uh, most everybody knows a cop or knows somebody that knows a cop. If they're not comfortable making those calls, they might want to say, hey, can you call somebody you know and have them get in touch with me? Uh, maybe a layer of security, so to say. Um, but um, the the investigator, Dan Bauman, that is working on this will handle this information uh, very professionally. It doesn't get splashed anywhere. It's discreet. So what I'm hearing is... It's basically, they can have basically sort of a private conversation. Is that fair to say? Or Yeah, that's very fair to say. Yep. And he'll, he'll arrange it uh, with whatever comfort zone uh, applies to you. You might want to call the Fargo Police Department, West Fargo Police Department, Moorhead Police Department. Um, virtually all of the agencies in the Fargo-Moorhead area have worked on this case at one time or another and they their investigation units are obviously all aware of of the bill wolf homicide in other words it doesn't matter how you come forward or which law enforcement agency you call the important thing at this point is that you do the right thing and help put this case to rest i suggested to bud that perhaps some people feel they don't want to pester the police with things that might be insignificant details, and so they just never call. Well, James, let me tell you, uh, I've always felt that the citizens are the best police officers you can have because there's only so many police officers, but there's a whole population of citizens out there that see and hear and know things. And a lot of times... There's really good police work that solves cases, but a lot of times it's the public's help that made the difference. And speaking of the public, before we go, I'm going to read for you a portion of an email I received from someone out there who's listening to season four of Dakota Spotlight, Chasing Billy, A Pursuit for Justice. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. I'm not sure why, but I've always felt a connection with Billy Wolf. I never met him or his family. I was 10 years old when it happened, and it's never left my mind in 42 years. Over the years, I've been visiting his grave, and I always leave a flower on Memorial Day. I stopped by today, and I told him that I thought this would now finally get solved. This week I want to thank Bud Warren for the interview. I'd also like to thank Bobby Schneider for the voice work. Thanks, Bobby. A special, special thanks to Bruce Blackman for providing me with permission to use his great song, Moonlight Feels Right. Check out Bruce Blackman at bruceblackman.com. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time as we continue on our pursuit for justice in this Season 4 
of Dakota Spotlight chasing Billy. Thank you for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.